Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. And welcome to this, an on-location episode. A special edition. Of the Rotor Road Football Podcast, as always. My name is Josh Norris. His name is John Daigle. Sitting kind of far than the normal studios, right? Like, Do you want to be closer to me, here. Daigle? Is this what you're saying? Actually, I'm good. I'm going to stay We haven't spent right enough here. time with each other over the past, what, three days? We're basically, isn't your room on my floor? No, nope. you're in a different one. Okay. Yep. I asked for that specifically. I'm sure you did. <laughs> I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised at all. How you doing, man? Everything's doing wonderful. We actually had not only the room miscommunication, there was a, a tad more miscommunication on the way out here because we discussed getting on the same flight together on the way to Miami. This was not a discussion, Daigle. <laughs> this is what happened. You said, hey, what hear flights your did you book? I took a screenshot of said yeah. flights, texted them to you, yep. said, okay, ne- next let's line up a car to the airport because it living in Connecticut takes an hour and a half to get there. Yep. Meanwhile, the day before, Daigle, you tell me, oh, Actually, I'm on a different flight than you. And I didn't realize until I booked the car. Had I not... How do you not realize this? First of all, it has the flight number on there. It has... You went to a different (laughs) airport. I'm JFK. You're LaGuardia. This, I have a theory. This was not a mistake. This was of your own decision and of own doing. I assure you, I did not want to wake up at 6 a.m. for a flight Sunday. It just happened. I was trying to get on the same flight for you. And if our lovely production assistant, Lauren, had not told me beforehand, hey, you're not going to this airport and you're not on this flight, I assure you, I would have shown up with you. I literally would have shown up with you. Your aim is awful. Complete mistake. Yeah. This is what happens when you leave me to my own device. I mean, it's such a mistake that I don't believe you. Mm -hmm. And then on the way back, we're flying to different airports. It says JFK. Don't we land in the same airport? No, dude. You're on LaGuardia. Oh, I'm going to a different one? Yes. That was not planned. I had no idea. I just kind of show up. It's fine. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be okay. John Daigle, I have no idea. I think that's the perfect lesson that we have learned John from John Daigle, it'll be fine. I think that's the title of my biography. Uh, we are down here all week in Miami, uh, lining up a bunch of interviews. Uh, on this episode, actually, we have Jerome Bettis coming up. Mm-hmm. We also have Danny Kelly of The Ringer. We have Will Brinson of CBS Sports, also Matt Harmon of Yahoo Sports, and then Bob Stern from The Athletic covering the Dallas Cowboys. About 8 to 10 to 12 minutes with each one. Uh, There were awesome discussions. Yep. Definitely tune in to the Jerome Bettis one, which is actually coming up right now. Now on the set, Jerome Bettis, a Super Bowl champion, 
Walter Payton Man of the Year and NFL Hall of Famer. Jerome, thanks for being here. I appreciate yeah, it. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it, guys. Jerome, before we get started, let's talk about Nuvasive and your health. Well, you know, actually, they go hand in hand. Um, when I retired, I was I was a little beat up, but I, I didn't really realize it until I started to, you know, play with my, my little kids and I was playing golf a lot. And then I started to realize that physically I was having problems. Yep. And, and I started to do some research and I, I needed a fusion uh, on my back. And so it was a serious surgery. So I started to do my homework and I found really the right surgery first. And the surgery is called the X-Lift surgery. And then I found the right surgeon, which was a, a doctor named Dr. Uribe, and one of the best in the world. And from there, I was able to then assess everything. Had the surgery. Uh, it, you know, a lot of people say it's an eight-month surgery. I was I was recovered well in three months. Back to my quality of life and, and playing golf and, and all of those things. And if anybody wants to kind of see or hear or read about my story, they can go to nuvasive.com slash the bus. And I really lay it out for people that are maybe in a similar situation, questioning about their, their, their health, yeah. and they want to look at it. And if anyone asked, your golf game obviously got better. <laughs> my, golf, my golf game did get better. I it I did because I was slapping it around. Now I'm turning on it. Uh, I, 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 you, you feel know, good. I'll fight somebody on the golf course. <laughs> uh, Jerome, let's hop in the time machine here. I'm sure you get asked a lot about certain games. I want to take you back to week one of the okay. 2004 season because this is one of those historic days in my mind. Your stat line for that day <laughs> five carries, one yard. Three touchdowns. I mean, that's magnificent. Greatest yeah, ever. Yeah, that yes, might be yes. the greatest. That couldn't have been the game plan for you just to have that stat line exiting game. I believe against the Oakland Raiders, twenty-four to twenty-one. Yeah, it, that that wasn't the plan, uh, but that's kind of the way it, it happened. It was one of those. I was a goal line back at the time, and. I, I scored a couple times. Then one, there was one play that I, I took a big loss. So that's that's kind of people were scratching their head like, how is that possible? But uh, yeah, I had a, a a loss play, which was very rare for me. I'm uh -huh. not a going yep. backwards kind of guy, right? Uh, so, but it was a, a pretty neat stat line. I know afterwards. Were, I know you were a veteran on that team, but any of the guys rib you in the locker room for that <laughs> stat line? At you the know end? what? Nobody really noticed it until you know a couple weeks later. The national media made a point. Uh, of saying how crazy is this stat line and then uh, my teammates were like man come on man <laughs> you scored 18 points what, for them what, they didn't what, have complaints what, 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 it wasn't, wasn't the points they're saying man you're too big to get one yard in the game man <laughs> and so right come on man so that I, I took a little heat for, for only getting one yard at the end of that season though you actually toyed with the idea of retirement who approached you and what made you come back well actually it really wasn't anyone approaching me as much as you know after the season ended coach Coward told me hey don't make a such a harsh decision after such a big loss. You know, we had, we were fifteen and one that year. We lost to the Patriots mm -hmm. in the championship, and it was just it was heartbreaking. Um, and so I got away from it and and decided um, after a couple guys on my team reminded me that the Super Bowl was in my hometown of Detroit. That uh, it'd be a shame if I missed it, hmm. and as they, as it turns out, they were correct. It would have been a shame. Was there one teammate in particular? Uh, well, Larry Foote was one. Okay. Clark Hagens, those were the two guys that really okay. um, were aggressive. And at the Pro Bowl, a lot of guys that year, we because we were fifteen and one. I think we had eight guys in a Pro Bowl, yeah. um, 
And those eight guys brought a, a couple other guys with them. So we maybe had 15 to 20 guys. And the coaching staff was the coaching staff for the Pro Bowl. So we had the, the coaching staff, about 20 players, and the owners. And so they, they, they threw a big luau, and the guys – came up and, you know, everybody was trying to get me to stay, but these guys said the right words. They said, hey man, Subo's in Detroit next year because Larry Foote is from Detroit as well. And so he reminded me and then Clark, you know, kind of poured it on and uh, at that point I was sold. So they poke at you for rushing for a yard, and then they ask you to come back. It's right. <laughs> right. Yeah, they punish me. But it worked. Right. Yeah. It worked. And, you know, I've got a ring to show for it. There you Obviously. go. Well, we're talking about the end there. Let's go back to the beginning. And this shocked me because I read that you didn't play organized football until high school. Um, and before that, you were the master of street football. Was, <laughs> there must have been a moment just playing the street with your friends that you realized, okay, I'm pretty good at this. My size is, you know, adequate. I should try out for the team. Yeah, there was a time, uh, I, I think I was about 13 to 14, and I was playing against my brother's friends, and my brother's four years older than me. So they were all 17 and 18 years old, and I hit one guy literally and he flew into the fence of a house and you know and he went underneath the fence underneath yeah you know the fence was was a, was moving a little, a little rickety i hit him so hard he kind of rolled into the <laughs> fence and and went right underneath it the fence buckled and he went underneath the fence and that's when i i, I started to think about it uh and and the guys on, on the street were like, look, man, you need to play football. You say it like uh, it's no big deal, Jerome. Like you put someone through a fence. It, it was, you know what? I didn't, at the time. It wasn't out of the ordinary. Yeah, I, I didn't think anything of it at the time. But uh, <laughs> when uh, when I look back at it, it was a bit strange to Do put somebody through a fence. He tells his friends that story his entire life, too. I don't too. think he does. <laughs> I don't think that's something you want to tell somebody. Yeah, Jerome Bettis put me through a fence. <laughs> They didn't add fences in that time, but the game has obviously changed so much since you played. Uh, is there any running backs right now that stand out to you that are exceptional? Yeah, I mean, Saquon Barkley, you see him. Mm -hmm. He is he is impressive in, in every way imaginable. Ezekiel uh, Elliott, you look at him, yeah. outstanding. I mean, Ty Gurley, he's still uh, incredible running back. The problem with Ty Gurley this past year, everybody wanted to believe and think that he was hurt from last year. He was not. It was just they changed the emphasis, uh, and they wanted to throw the ball with more, more with Jared Goff. Mm -hmm. And then they realized late in the season that, uh-oh, we need to get back to running the football. And then you saw uh, the, 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 the running back that we've all seen mm -hmm. uh, from Gurley the last few years. And yeah. so I, I, I think Derrick Henry special. You saw with the run he put on uh, Mark Ingram. I'm a big fan of, uh, of Mark. Do you, do you kind of drift towards backs that show that power rather than – I know you mentioned Saquon. He has a lot of elusiveness with that power. But do you ever drift towards people and players of your own style or more towards the guys who went out in space? Now, I, so I, I prided myself in being able to win in space a little bit yeah. as well because I wanted always to be a little shifty. But I, with my size, it was, a, you know, it's kind of an There's oxymoron. Right. <laughs> well, I was easy target, too. Uh, but, but I do look at a guy like Christian McCaffrey. Yeah. I mean, how special he is. So I'm conscious of those guys. But, yeah, I mean, obviously my eye is going to always gravitate to a guy who's going to lower his shoulder and maybe run over a guy as opposed to run around a guy or make a guy miss. 
uh, if you will. You, you mentioned your size. How does your workout training regimen actually change now that you don't play anymore? Well, for me, it's not as much about lifting as much as cardio. So I'm all, you know, trying to ride the bike, get a Stairmaster, uh, treadmill, those kind of things. The things I dread the most uh, as opposed to a lot of heavy lifting. Yeah. Uh, right now, it's not about, you know, staying at a certain strength uh, threshold. I, I want to stay physically strong, but uh, not the way I was training when I was playing. Uh, before we let you go, Jerome, um, we haven't asked you about the game at all. Can we play a little game? Yeah, let's Dangle do it. stole this from someone at the beach. So okay. we just choose kid, one of these. Actually. A kid? Okay. And answer the question that's in there. Uh-oh. It's about the game on Sunday. It's Can you no read that loud, question. too? Ooh, what position will win Super Bowl MVP, quarterback or other? Wow. It's a great question. Um... And actually, I've been giving that question some thought uh, because a few years ago, uh, I, I, I was able to pick it. And so I've been kind of doing it every year. I, I'm terribly incorrect for the most part. We all are. <laughs> That's what this show is. Uh, I, of course. Of course. But I'm saying right now, obviously, with the quarterbacks that you have, the big name quarterbacks, the assumption is that a quarterback is going to win it. Um, but I think um, if I if I had to put put it on somebody, I'd probably put it on the edge rusher. Uh-huh. Uh, I Nick think, Bosa, uh, Chris or, Jones, yeah, somewhere somewhere like that could be. Interesting. Uh, I honestly Frank, thought you would say running um, back. Frank, uh, Frank, Frank Clark. Clark from Kansas City. I think he he would have a shot at it. I think whoever is able to disrupt love it the uh, quarterback. Uh, I think they'll win it. That's Jerome, that's my on the wing. Jerome Bettis suggesting possibly a defensive performance on Sunday. Not many people that. are saying that. Jerome, yeah. thanks so much for joining us. Thank really you. Appreciate it, guys. Now on the set is Washington Redskins insider for NBC Sports Network. Washington, that is J.P. Finley. What's up, fellas? Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. J.P., uh, it's been a quiet offseason in Ashburn. Uh, quiet's one word. Probably the opposite <laughs> of that, but certainly it's, uh, I'll say this, as a reporter, it's been nice yeah. that everything happened fast. You know, you have these long searches, what the Giants went through, the Browns still trying to figure out coordinators and stuff. The Skins, they, they ripped the Band-Aid off right? the Bruce seemed, Allen era. Well, it seemed like they just took three moving trucks from Charlotte and just carried them on up there to Washington. Yeah, it's not that bad of a drive. You know, five, six hours, they, they were probably fine. So from the outside, all that we hear was how much of an impact it's going to be that Bruce Allen is no longer part of this organization. That Ron Rivera was perhaps brought in to change the culture and the identity. From someone that is much closer to it, how realistic is that? And is that the correct perception? If it's possible, you're understating how huge it is that Bruce Allen has gone from this organization. Uh, he, His hands were in everything. Hmm. And it, it's hard to... It's, it's kind of hard to explain what his reach was and, and just the scope of all of it. So his removal also means a lot about Dan Snyder's evolution as an owner. Because Dan and Bruce were tight. There's no secret about that. But late in the year, you, you saw what looked like that relationship was fracturing. And, and I think no matter what happens with Ron Rivera, he can come in and win two Super Bowls in three years. He could be there for four years and not make the playoffs. It's already a tremendous step forward for the Redskins organization. What's the first step, though, as they continue to rebuild this organization, as you said, literally from the top down? Well, I mean... At this point, it's kind of about personnel and what happens on the field going forward because you've got your head coach. They promoted Kyle Smith to the VP of player personnel, which is going to be there. Tell us about him. 
Kyle is a, a really sharp football mind. He's been running college scouting for the Skins for the past few years. In Ron Rivera's introductory presser, he said one of the reasons he liked this job is because of the last three draft classes. No coincidence, those are the three that Kyle Smith has run. Mm-hmm. And, and they've, they've found some players. I mean, Terry McLaurin in the third round, mm-hmm. um, a guy like Cole Holcomb last year had a lot of tackles. They've The drafts have been impressive. They have some young talent on this team on cheap rookie deals. It also helps. If you look at the, you joked about the moving trucks from Charlotte. Yeah. Ron has looked to guys that he has familiarity with, and he named Scott Turner as his offensive coordinator who worked for him with the Panthers. Scott Turner's dad is Norv Turner. Norv Turner was the head coach of the then San Diego Chargers. Ron Rivera was defensive coordinator. The GM of that team was AJ Smith, Kyle Smith's son. Huh. So it is it, all connected. It's funny. Out a of, lot of that. Out of college, I applied for jobs with the Panthers. This is no surprise to anyone here. And but not a fan. Got all not a fan. But got all the way to like interviewing with the team president. And the line that he told me, it must have been like a Panthers line, is you need to find people that know that you're gonna do a good job and they will hire you. And that certainly seems like this is the case with a lot of there and his coaching staff. Um Quickly moving over to the players. You know, we saw Dwayne Haskins for about half a season, a little bit more. I still don't know if I know who Dwayne Haskins is as an NFL player. Is that fair? Yeah. And and I don't know that this new staff, I don't know that Ron Rivera or Scott Turner know who he is. You can point to his last six quarters of football. It was a, a start against the Eagles and then two quarters against the Giants that were really, really good. He was completing more than 70% of his passes. This is six quarters. He had 400 yards passing. I think he had three touchdowns, no picks. He looked to finally have it. He, yeah. he, he looked like the kid at Ohio State that threw for 50 touchdowns. But... The games before that, it was pretty ugly. The relief appearances early in the year before Jay Gruden got fired, awful. There's some discussion around how much coaching, how much direction, really even how much attention Dwayne Haskins got early on in the year, going all the way back to training camp. It wasn't a lot. Jay Gruden was a coach that knew he had to win in 2019. Dwayne Haskins was not going to help him win. It was... The Redskins organizationally had so many competing agendas. Yeah. They had a head coach. This is 2019. They had a head coach in a win or bust season and then a front office that was trying to develop a long-term quarterback. I mean, those two things are just at odds with one another. And Haskins was kind of in the middle of that. Going forward, Scott Turner is supposed to be the guy for Dwayne. And, yeah. and you look what he did with Cam Newton in Carolina. You look what he did with Teddy Bridgewater in Minnesota before that big injury. People believe he can develop quarterbacks. Ron Rivera and Scott Turner, though, have publicly said, Dwayne, you need to be a leader. You need to be first one in, last one out. Last year, that wasn't always the case. There was a, I think there was a lot of growing up for Dwayne Haskins as a rookie. And he seemed to be starting to understand what it took to be a pro quarterback by the end of the year. Then he had the ankle injury. You know, they shut him down for week 17. They've got a couple months now before free agency and then the draft to figure out, this is our guy. Do we need to bring a veteran in? Yeah. Alex Smith's still making $21 bucks this year, guaranteed. So he's going to be on the books. I don't think he's going to be on the field. But 
it's an evolving situation. There. I actually wanted to talk to you about some of those free agents and where the organization sits on some. Because as you already know, a lot of guys could walk. A lot of important players. Brandon Scherf, uh, you have Vernon Davis, Adrian Peterson, Chris Thompson, uh, Tony Bergstrom. The list goes on and on. So what do you think? Like, Are there any leans right now on particular players like that? Like, They can't lose a player like Brandon Scherf, right. can they? I don't think so. And I think now that... Cause you got it, it. It's Bruce Allen was fairly tight-fisted with the cash. He let people walk, and he believed in the compensatory formula. If you look at what the Panthers did, you know this. You're a fan of the team. They are. <laughs> they were willing to pay big money for a guard, and, and, and that, that's kind of what you're going to Trey have, Turner, right? That's what you're going to have to do to keep Brandon Sheriff. Yeah. So maybe the new organization understands, and, and Rob Rogers is their con- is their contract guy now. He was with Ron down in Carolina. It's entirely possible that the sheriff negotiations change immediately because it's a new staff looking at him. Because I, I think with Bruce, you saw reluctance to go to the top of the market. And you can point to Kirk Cousins as the mm-hmm. prime example. They didn't want to pay Kirk the top of the market because he wasn't the best or really even top three. Sheriff, I think you can easily argue, is top three and is worth that money. Um I, I'm much more optimistic about his deal now than I was prior to the changes. A guy like Chris Thompson is going to go and be a really good third down back somewhere else, yeah. I think. AP, there's a team option. I think they'd be crazy not to bring him back. Yeah. Um, the biggest question for the Skins are guys they can release or trade. Josh Norman's making $15 million a right. year and was getting benched and late last season. it was funny because he was a little optimistic after Ron was hired that, like, oh, this might be a new chance at a new start. Doesn't seem like it based on how he played. Ron was also with the Panthers when they rescinded right. the franchise tag. That was more of a Dave Gettleman thing, possibly. Sure, right. Possibly. Um, JP, I've noticed that you just completely milk your ISO. You are a <laughs> pro at all this, but you haven't forever been in the media. When I say SNL financial energy reporter, <laughs> this is what, what you think of? What memories does that bring Is that out? on my LinkedIn page? It Where is. are you finding this? I have it up right now. We went digging. Yeah. I, um... I was awful at that. I'll be honest. What is it? What is an energy reporter? I don't, dude. I I reported on <laughs> energy, <laughs> electrical transmission. So like from the power plant to the city, like the giant wires that get it back and forth. That process is however complicated you think the NFL draft is, or scouting players, yeah. or installing your your third down offense. I couldn't wrap my head around that whatsoever. I had that job maybe 10 months. Oh, well, you listed it as a year and six well, you, months, so you might be over-exaggerating Or here. lying, and we just called them out. Yeah, I think I, I, there's no way it was <laughs> You were unemployed months? for five m- more months after that? Well, I had, I, you know, at, way back when at Comcast Sportsnet, <laughs> I couldn't present myself as jobless. Correct. So I, I just kind of, like, extended that. I was a... Uh, I'll be honest here. I was a very bad energy reporter. But then you like transitioned into the newsroom at NBC Sports. I was like a manager for so, a little while. Yeah. So how did you go from managing people in the newsroom as a producer to then jumping into an insider role in front of the camera? This I can explain better. So for me, I, I, when I got to what was then CSN, I was in kind of the like the grunt level where you kind of do everything you're writing you're running the desk you're running social and, and I was pretty good at all that and then I I assumed some leadership you know assignments along the way and I was on like a cool management track I uh-huh. would say maybe I end up in Stanford Connecticut to one a day. glass office 
I had an office, dude. Look at it was you. small. And now it you're was, sitting here with us. It was quite small. It was like half of this desk, but it had a door. Um, but I had always told my bosses, so all along, even as like I started having more and more on my plate with other stuff, I always was covering the skins. Like that has just been a passion since I was a kid, right? I grew up there. That is even how bad they are, they are the team of record in DC. Right. And uh, I always told my boss, hey, if this one job opens, that's that's what will get me to switch back. And that was wishful thinking. I didn't know that I would get it. But sure enough, um, you remember Tarek El-Bashir? Yeah. So Tarek was, was a hockey Capitals, guy a long time. Yeah. Right. Um, he was covering the skins for us. He wanted to get back to hockey. He switched back to hockey. That job opened up, and I went Pushed all my chips in, wow. was able to get it. A couple people took a chance because I didn't have any real TV chops. I had done some fantasy stuff. You weren't on TV uh, reporting energy? No, what you're saying? Okay. <laughs> Everyone would fall asleep. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone. Uh, we haven't asked you at all about the game uh, The game on Sunday. We're going to close out a little game of our own. You this sn- is fun. You snuck a peek at the pail when yeah. you arrived, by the way. I have Bagel no idea what crying this is. kid on the beach. So we need you <laughs> to over, pull one of these and answer the question. Cool? All right. All right. I'm going to not look. There we go, JP. Read out loud if you could for us. <laughs> How many times will Fox compare Favre and Mahomes? Yes. Yeah. Is that the natural comp for Mahomes? For I think Mahomes, sure. But Mahomes is so much more accurate. He is. He doesn't throw the and picks. And mobile and all that. Yeah. Maybe it's the evolution of Favre. If, it's not, Favre, then, if it's not Favre, then who would be your alternate? <sighs> who do you think he'll be compared to the most on Sunday? Yeah, who do you think when you think Patrick Mahomes? Or is he just that unique that you don't think of anyone? The Titans version of Mahomes we saw. Uh huh. I would kind of go Steve Young Got when it. he's running okay. like that. Yeah. Um, and I think Steve Young was a more accurate passer, but that was a different era where completion percentages were different. Sure. I don't know that there is a comp yeah. for Mahomes. Um, I am sure they'll make. Th- How many times are they going to make that? At least three. I was going to say three. Three would be my over under, and I probably like if you set it at three and a half, it get it get real interesting. Who's your comp for him? Farf. I would say like that's the natural one, but I, he, he's just so unique that off-platform throws, out of structure, just Dude, the, the sidearm. at Texas Tech was unbelievable. It was so wild. And remember, his last year he played with like a zombie arm too. He was hurt yeah. the entire season. He, I don't, I don't know if it's Favre, but they're going to make the Montana comparisons just because the for scenario. Sure. Yeah, and well, we, maybe Young too. Then yeah. Oh, well, I guess it's the KC side, right? We just completely forget that he dislocated his kneecap this season. It's yeah. amazing. We were just talking to Peter King, and he told me a story that Mahomes dislocated his kneecap, and then the next day at the facility, he's doing full sprints in the hydrotherapy pool because they told him it's not that bad. It's four to six weeks, and his mindset was, no, it's going to be one week. Wow. Wow. That is J.P. Finley. Thanks so much for joining us, J.P. Thanks, Appreciate man. it, buddy. Appreciate it, guys. Joined to the desk now, staff writer at The Ringer, <laughs> Danny Kelly himself. Danny, how are you doing, man? I'm doing excellent. How are you guys doing? We're great. How's a West Coaster do when traveling to the East Coast and having to do a lot of media obligations? Uh, it's a little bit weird. Obviously, the, the clock, the internal clock is a little bit off still since I'm on West Coast time. But I was in Mobile last week, uh-huh. so it was a little bit of an acclimation for me. got accustomed to it, yeah. Yeah. And then I drove here like a lunatic. Did you really? It was an 11-hour drive. straight from Mobile to here? <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. Did you plan that out in your head? Did you look at it, Google Maps? You're like, oh, you know, it's Alabama 10, 10 and, and Miami, you know, one state over. Yeah. Yet it, it turns out to be an 11-hour drive. The flight time, total like travel time, was yeah. going to be like eight hours because I had to connect in Charlotte or something. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm just, I was just like, I'm just going to drive. What is Danny Kelly doing an 11-hour drive? By just himself? podcast the whole time. Hours? Yeah. 
Thank you. <laughs> what was the highlight, that. by the way, of the drive? 11 hours. You had to see something Ooh, exciting. That's really tough. It, it, to be honest with Trace. you, I wouldn't do it again. It probably wasn't that great. The, as someone that drove once from Tampa to Mobile, the Florabama shore is an interesting place. Mm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Would you agree? But I, I think the, the driving took a significant dip once you get into Florida. Yes. The... the Fellow drivers, I should say. I would say the best part was probably going through Jacksonville. There was like a nice little bridge over there. You know, it was like pretty. Otherwise, it was just pretty flat. So you couldn't it's see okay. anything. <laughs> nothing interesting. It's all good. Uh, why don't we jump into some football? Yeah. You want to do that? Sure, let's do um, it. You know the Seattle Seahawks very, very well. Spent a lot of time at field goals. I'll leave this mm -hmm. question open and that we can go uh, detailed after that. Sure. If you were the GM for a day of Seattle, if you took John Schneider's job for one day, what would be your first move? Ooh, that's this a good question. I keep adding receiver weapons. Hmm. I mean, and philosophically, like, I think the Seahawks just differ from a lot of Seahawks fans in terms of, like, their priorities. Obviously, they're a very run-oriented team, smash-mouth, physical. They want to be really balanced all the time. I'm trying to put weapons around Russell Wilson. And I don't know if you guys heard, but Russell Wilson was recently sort of subtweeting the Seahawks. Like, Was he really? Yeah, he, oh, he tweeted something, like, something along the lines of, great to see Mahomes balling and his weapons are balling too and it's like everyone's like okay we need to get him some more guys I'm mean, obviously getting DK Metcalf was a huge huge thing for him um, Tyler Lockett you know is a very good receiver too but I think if you add a couple more weapons around him I think that would be really important kind of like get them to the next level offensively and it's not like they didn't try right like John Ursua Gary Jennings like they took their shots yeah I mean I will say mid-rounders mid we can't talk gonna... about John Ursua as like a seventh round draft pick as he even tried that's fair yeah it's still a guy they drafted as a receiver yes yes yeah. um and Jacob Hollister is not going to cut it either uh right let's yeah. talk about you as a Seattle fan I mean you not grew up but in at least in recent memory have watched incredible defenses. I mean, yeah. three, I wouldn't say Hall of Fame secondary pieces, but ones at least are in the Hall of Very Good. And right, Richard right. Sherman, Earl Thomas, and Cam Chancellor, and two of those will probably be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. What's it like to go from that transition to like <laughs> in two years now watching a defense that really struggles quite often? Yeah. And it's tough because Earl Thomas and Sherman are still playing really well in the NFL. Yeah. So it's a little bit frustrating. I mean, I think they obviously learned their lesson when Cam, they extended Cam Chancellor, gave him bog guaranteed money, and then he had a career-ending injury. So I think that spooked him a little bit about giving guys a third contract. So I think every team has a life cycle. The early part of the Seahawks sort of dynasty or whatever you want to call it, not dynasty, but years of being really good or whatever. Their window to win. Window's <clears throat> open. Right, their championship window. Early on, it was very much defense-oriented. They spent a lot of money there. They had a lot of really good players. And then over the years, now they're giving Russell Wilson a ton of money. It's his contract <clears throat> once they had to do it. Yeah, and so it changes the way that you have to construct the roster. Yeah. Now they have to be a little bit cheaper on the defense, I think. Um, you know, they're going to have a decision with Jadavian Clowney going forward and mm -hmm. a couple other guys. But it does make sense for, to me for them to build on offense, to spend their money on offense. So on one hand, it was definitely frustrating watching that defense kind of go through its growing pains. But on the other hand, you understand it because they can't just pay for a, a really great elite uh, defense again. And honestly, you know, they're not going to just find these mid-round future Hall of Famers. It just doesn't happen. It's just it was a perfect storm for whatever they figured it out how to do it with those three guys. Um, but that just doesn't happen. So I think there's a, a element of like this is the reality. We understand that you can't just completely remake all-time great defense yeah and so um it's been frustrating but at the same time you know you understand it and 
that's why I think building towards the offense is the most important thing. You mentioned Jadevian Clowney, and that's one of the more interesting sub uh, subplots of this offseason. But let's take Seattle, push <clears throat> him aside for a second. What is the one thing you're monitoring this offseason, the one storyline you're interested to see play out? Not Aside from Jadevian? Aside from Seattle, aside from Clowney. Oh, aside from the Seahawks in general? Yes. Yeah. I think the quarterback There are other situation. teams. There are 31 other what? teams in the yeah, world. I don't know it's if you heard. Kelly. No. Um, I think the quarterback carousel is going to be the most mm-hmm. interesting thing that happens in the offseason. Obviously, there's a report coming out yesterday that Phillip Rivers may be done with the Chargers. Where he ends up is going to be super interesting. Um, you know, there's multiple, multiple quarterbacks, whether you're talking about Drew Brees. Tom probably well. Tom Brady's maybe not going to be with the Patriots, which is just kind of unthinkable at this point in time. Um you know, and then there's just there's a few other guys that could move around and change. I, I think quarterbacks have the ability to change the complexion of not only teams but divisions, the mm-hmm. entire conference. So that's going to be huge this offseason. And um, I think I'm mostly just looking forward to seeing how that all kind of pans out. Daniel, let's talk about you for a moment. I knew some of the people that were going to hop on this set with us. So I did a little deep dive on you. <laughs> um, what was life like? Because you had a life before being a football writer. What was life like as a project specialist <laughs> at Elex? You're looking at my LinkedIn, huh? I am. Okay. Uh, it was good. Actually, that company uh, was like a little boutique, uh, I don't even know what to call them, electronic litigation company. They basically helped companies with discovery. So it was like a legal firm. Um, but at the same time, was, I was paid on project basis, so I was had the time to like blog and do Seahawk stuff. Uh-huh. That's how I got involved with that. So it was kind of like I had two jobs for a couple of years there. Um, but yeah, that was Which my is how life. most people, because yeah. I mean, you can't just hop into full time roles. You were there right. for eight years, Danny Kelly. I mean, like, yeah, that towards the end, it was like I would work maybe two days, two okay. days a month or something like that. So I wasn't really like full time, but. I also did a deep yeah. dive on your tweets. Um, <laughs> no. Which is a hole you'd never want to go I'm going to oh, read no. some to you, and I just want to get your reaction. Oh, Does that Lord. work? Okay, sure. Just watch the trailer to Midsummer. And I will not be watching that film. Also, Danny Kelly, not a fan of horror films. Speaking of disturbing movies, I watched The King. And for some reason, it messed with me for a week afterwards. I'm (laughs) not sure why. What's your issue? No, I haven't seen any of these. I've been told to watch it. I have not watched it yet. What's your issue with horror films? What did they do to you afterwards? So I have a specific philosophy on movies. They should entertain me. And I don't like to be stressed out watching (laughs) a movie. I have enough stress in my life already. I don't want to be stressed while I'm having entertainment. Although, I don't know why I'm a football fan, to be honest, like, or a Seahawks fan. So that doesn't really kind of, like, there's some cognitive dissonance there. I don't know exactly what's going on. But in terms of movies, I definitely don't like horror movies. I hate suspense. Like, really? That's the a, only thing I want to watch. As a cinematic device, suspense annoys me. Like, even a thriller? That, that's well, considered no, jump like, scares? No, like, thrillers are fine. But, like, when you have scenes. Tension that builds. Yeah, like, purposely just inserting like drama it just it, it annoys the crap out of me so okay. I, basically i'm just not into those kind of movies i want to be entertained i want to have you want you to know, escape you I know gotcha. from reality so yeah um, the king is a crazy movie though by the way it's i'll just, take your word for yeah. it uh we gotta get out of here i forgot our little game so i'm gonna play it for you and okay. ask you this question usually we have like this bucket and you draw pill. something out of it over and stole it my mind's already on loop here, so i'm so. all right already forgot it hair is one Will the 49ers have more passing attempts or rushing attempts on Sunday? What do you think? Uh, Passing attempts. And I think it's because the Chiefs' offense will be successful in this game and that they're going to have to try and score a lot of points. Um, I do think they'll be relatively balanced, like still be balanced, at least for NFL standards. Um, But I bet 
I, like I'm guessing that they're going to have to be coming from behind a little bit, and so they're going to have to rely, rely a little bit more on Jimmy Garoppolo. How do you think that's going to fare for them? I don't know. I, I mean, I, ha- I do have faith in Garoppolo. Um, you know, he's made some pretty big throws on like third downs and, and key situations. You know, in, in Week 17, he made a really huge play on a third down that basically sunk the Seahawks. So he uh, he's had that, that he has that experience. Yeah, I'm not like bitter about it, um, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I think I think he's good. Like he's also the kind of guy who will just go YOLO and throw an interception too. So it really just depends on how he how his decision making goes. But I think he has it in him. Um, but yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I think I I do think they're going to have to lean on him a little bit more than they have in the last couple games. That's Danny Kelly. Go and check out basically his draft guide. It's this crazy database over at The Ringer. It's a wonderful thing. I'll check it out at least once a week. Joined now by CBS Sports senior (laughs) NFL writer. His name is Will Brinson. Will, how are you doing, man? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, guys. I feel honored to be on the the old NBC set over here. This elevated set that makes us feel more important than everyone else. Well, and see, you guys are in a good spot, too. You can see the the corporate synergy is working well. You have the same set. You're on the same height as PFT, right? Yeah. Uh, As you'll notice, like, they put my show on a smaller smaller set. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, what does that have, say about us? It, it says that you guys are important and I'm not. <laughs> um, no, well, I'm that makes us feel better on a certain level of the to- totem pole that we're on, that I know that we're on. So thank you <laughs> yeah, yeah. for saying you, that. You guys, are kill- you guys kill it. Oh, I, appreciate I read the coverage. That, Will. Appreciate I appreciate that. that. Um, well, you do a lot of stuff with the Panthers. You cover the Panthers. You live in North Carolina, uh, where I am from originally. Yeah. What if I made you general manager of the Panthers for a day? I mean, this is a... Panthers team that is going to go through so many changes this offseason. Obviously, new head coach, maybe new quarterback. How would you handle that one day? What would be your first mm. move? Well, if I so I'm Marty Herney for a day. That sounds Regrettably. fun. Regrettably, I, I like Marty. I like old Marty. Take the senior title away, but yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah I can be Marty. Um, look, I think when you look at this roster, what you're seeing with this Panthers team is something that's going to di- really. I don't want to say disappoint fans in 2020. I would not be surprised if the Panthers tanked in 2020. And even tanked for Trevor, potentially. Mm. Uh, when you listen to what David Tepper has said since he took over, he said, we are going to try and build something long-term. We are going to build something that is sustainable over the course of many years, not just one year. And more importantly, he said, fans need to understand that this change to get to where we want to be is not going to happen overnight. Yep. Like, it's our job to read between the lines on some of this stuff. And when I hear that, I think, okay, maybe something's going to be a little different. Then when I look at the Panthers roster, I don't know if you, like, I, long story short, I can't really remember why I took a deep dive into it. I was for an article, but I was like going through the salary cap table. This reeks of a tank. Huh. It's, there's tons of guys up at the top, like Don Terry Poe, uh, you know, who like can be cut for cap reasons. K1 short. I mean, these K1 older short. players. K1 short is quietly like 31. Yep. How, how did that happen? Yeah. I think he I, entered the league when he was 24. Yeah. He was older when he came in, but like, I mean, you know, he was, a, there was a combine in 2013 with, you know, him and, and Starla Delaley. Yep. Um, and so I think there's a lot of older players. Greg Olson, they don't know what's going to happen. Greg Olson, I don't think knows what's going to happen. Cam Newton, they don't know what's going to happen. So to answer your question more directly, I'm trying to find the best possible value for Cam Newton that I can get. And you, you and I are both on the Cam train. Yes. I love Cam. One of my favorite players of all time. The first NFL draft I ever covered for CBS Panthers said my home, the team I grew up rooting for had a you know the number one overall pick, and I watched Cam Newton take. I love I love Cam. I think he's criminally underrated and disparaged in the media, and I can't stand it. But I'm probably trying to get value for him in a trade, and I'm thinking about how we're sort of tearing down to restart. Do you have an ideal uh, suitor under center to take over for then for this one year tank? Well, so is, yeah. nominate your guy. Well, 
Are we? Is this pro Kyle Allen or pro Will Greer? Are you? Are you? Are you pro? Neither. So here's the thing. But this is to me a perfect excuse for Absolutely Marty not. Herney or whoever this next person of V because they're bringing in a new VP of football ops, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. You say, listen, we spent a one. The uh, Greer was hundredth overall, I believe, last year. Yes. So it's a top one hundred pick. That's a very valuable asset. You have to know what you have. The only way to know what you have is to play him sixteen games. It is eerily reminiscent, in my opinion, of Jimmy Clausen being taken in the second. Not not the, not the talent level, but. <laughs> It might be. But, like, that was one of the worst offensive teams you'll ever see. Yeah. And you can ask Jeff Schwartz about it, like, because he was on that team, right? And he's like, man, that team, we stunk. Stunk. Jimmy was a top second, it was a second round pick. They had to see what they had in him. I believe Marty drafted, drafted Jimmy. him without even meeting him. Like, he knew wow. of his talent because they thought you, that whole draft process, Jimmy well, remember was the, the trade to go in the first round. But the trade was they moved, they moved up in the second round. But the year before, they moved up to get Everett Brown. Right. Right, and then they didn't have a first-round pick, so they had to move up in the second round to get Jimmy that year, mm -hmm. and like they just like hemorrhaging draft. I assets. mean, it's bad that we can't even keep track of all the bad Marty Herney trades. I mean, he traded eventually <laughs> the number thirty-three overall pick for Armonte Edwards. That was a bad one. Yeah, there's a number like, we can go down. I feel like that was owner-imposed. Don't you think it's weird though that there has been so much change about process, and that they want to build a franchise, a program with lasting success. Yet, they're keeping the person who, when he was fired by Jerry Richardson, worked at local radio. Yeah. No one ESPN hired him. Right? Yeah. Yes, yeah. no one hired him and then got back in the good graces after Dave Gettleman destroyed relationships. Yep. And now they're just carrying him over. I know they want to hire someone as like his right-hand man. Well, no, 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 no. But see, if you, if you go back and read the statement from Temper, it's actually weird. It's not his right-hand man. Yeah. It's assistant GM and VP of football ops. Right. So my understanding is that that person would actually, Marty would actually report to that person ultimately. Interesting. With that person being groomed to take over the GM job. And We've seen how these things. You guys have seen how these things go in the off season. Like, I, I'm not saying that Marty's going to be out after the draft. Like, I, I don't know. But I mean, like, I wouldn't be stunned if they made a change. I mean, it would be weird to like keep him around and have him in the press releases on the new coach and have him on the coaching search. But I, I think they might want to maybe transition him to a different role and groom this VP of football ops guy to be the eventual GM football czar type of person. Yeah. So like, that's sort of. I, I don't think they know exactly where they're going to go. All of this just leads me to believe the Panthers probably aren't going to be very good in 2020. That question led to a lot of Panthers talk. Yeah, sorry about that. But I got to be honest, I was just teeing it up to hear Philip Rivers. <laughs> I, I was literally setting it up for you. You didn't take it. Yep. So now. See, that's my whole thing is I don't think they'll sign in because I don't think they want to win six games with Philip Rivers. Okay. And I think that would be the worst case scenario. Hmm. I, do, I think he goes to the NFC South, though. Potentially. Tampa. Give us the Tampa. ideal landing spot. Tampa? Okay. I think the two best landing spots for Philip Rivers are the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, Bruce Arians, like we talked about all offseason, we're like, oh, the ultimate no-risk-it, no-biscuit quarterback is Jameis Winston. No. Philip Rivers is the perfect Carson Palmer 2.0. Okay. Like, he, he, people say his arm strength's diminished. I don't think it's – I mean, like, he's older. I don't think it's as bad as, it, as people say. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you can bring in a guy like Ronald Jones, throw some swing passes, you know, these pass-catching backs, maybe trade for David Johnson, too. Um, I don't think Bruce Arians wants to deal with five-year – like, you're going to get five years of Jameis Winston at, like, $35 million a year? That's a lot of risk. You go two years of Phillip Rivers, that's a bridge that gets you out of the Jameis Winston sort of sunk cost to me. So I think that would fit. And then Frank Reich's his old quarterback's coach in Indianapolis. Where did this, and I'll be honest with you, Will, where did this inception of this Philip Rivers infatuation start? With me? Like, yeah, take it, take it to the top. Well, I went to NC State in 99. Correct. So I showed up at NC State and Rivers is there. 
Okay. And like I didn't have any classes with rivers, and I wish I'd you know worked at the technician so I could have you know covered it more there. But um, you know, like just an NC State fan who got four years of Phil, and uh, and he's also like a lovable Southern character. Mm -hmm. Like there's not a lot of like. Get, like you know, like oh, 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 oh. is genuine. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's a wonderful Philip Rivers impersonation. Yeah, he's like, I don't know where the ball yeah. went. Like, like, and I'm not like, like he's just he'll like, go like 30 seconds without saying anything. He's just very energetic and passionate. So when Phil tears up at press conferences, does Will tear up at press conferences? I got yeah, yeah. There was a lot of emotion. Now look, if the Panthers sign him, I have multiple friends who said they'll buy season tickets. Aha! Uh -huh. State fans who will buy season tickets, who live in Raleigh, will drive to Charlotte to watch the Panthers. So if David Tepper's listening and he is interested, wants your opinion. He wants two season ticket holders <laughs> from Raleigh. Uh, no, I mean like yeah, like yeah, it was emotional. I'm sure. Like Phil, you know, I mean like I, I just think the Chargers thing is like the ultimate, like what if scenario. Like in 2006, yeah. Marlon McCree intercepts Tom Brady, and they're going to the AFC Championship game against a Colts team that they could absolutely have beaten. Mm -hmm. And, you know, freaking um, uh, Troy Brown strips McCree. Brady gets the ball back. They, you know, they win. And, you know, and then, the, you know, but the, the, the Colts come to Miami. Like, it's just, they were always so close and just always tripped over themselves. And between, between Peyton, Breeze, Brady, like, he played in truly one of the greatest generations for quarterbacks. For sure. It was like Roddick behind Federer and Djokovic. It's just like kind it's of the become, wrong time for him to be one of the best. But like Phil game. Mickelson playing with Tiger. Like, it's, yeah. you're just, and also, you look back at the trade that Archie Manning forced. Like, yeah. good job by you, Dad. Good move by you because Eli won two Super Bowls right. and he's memed out to death, but he's going to the Hall of Fame easily and Phil's like, well, I went to the AFC Championship game and played with a torn ACL because I worked for this organization that, like, you know, even with, like, LT, Vincent Jackson, Antonio Gates, and a great offensive line, couldn't put it all together. Uh, we haven't asked you at all about the game on Sunday. How are we going to do that? Okay. Play a little game. I love a game. Dago took this from a crying kid at the beach. Uh, pick one of these, answer it if you will, for us. And read it out loud, Finally, because this is this not is, only a video, but it's also a podcast. Just so you know, I'm going to steal this bit at some point. There we go. <laughs> we stole it already. Uh, some tourist shop <laughs> on North Beach. It's this, is a, this is a good one. This is a good question. Who gets more airtime, Robert Sala or Mike Shanahan? I remember talking about this last night. So it's an interesting question. I think it's probably game script dependent. Uh -huh. If the defense is playing well and getting stops on third and fourth down mm -hmm. and sacking Mahomes, it is going to be laser-locked Robert Sala airtime. He's got just more flexing yeah, at just, the camera. <gasps> yes. Screaming, like just like you could see the veins popping out of his, his handsome man. Very handsome man. Yeah. Rugged. I would not of like cross him? You would not cross him? No, I would not cross him. <laughs> yes. uh, I was just saying, like, you're at this event and it's like like dude, big dudes like Frank Clark and Chris Jones yes. and like strong offensive linemen out there. And it's like the scariest guy is Robert Sala. <laughs> like I wouldn't mess with that guy. Um, Shanahan, if the offense is winning for the 49ers and they're running the ball effectively, and, like, Raheem Mostert, an undrafted free agent, is having a huge game, it'll be cut to Shanahan, like, oh, like, you know, you can, you can really see the, you know, the tendencies of his of father and son here yes. operating. So that, that's a very good question. I will say it's game script dependent, but I would pick uh, Salah. Uh, no, I'll pick Shanahan, because I, I think it's going to be a shootout. And quickly, how do you think the game's going to go? I had this lingering suspicion that the 49ers are going to, like, be awesome in this game. Yeah. I just it's just kind like of the there. two weeks to prep. Yeah, and figure like, out pieces of the Chiefs defense to attack. Yeah, and like we they're I, I don't think they're gonna hold Mahomes down. I think it's gonna yeah. be a shootout. I think it's gonna be a fun game, lots of points scored. I think they're gonna probably have to open up Jimmy Garoppolo some in this offense and, and make him throw. I do think the Chiefs defense is better than people think. I think that if all the unit of all the like units in this game that are being 
uh, rated properly or, you know, underrated, overrated. I think the Chiefs' defense is getting the short, short in the stick. Yeah. Like, they're being treated like they can't stop the 49ers' offense. Right. I mean, Honey Badger played a game of his life against the, you know, in, in, against the Titans. Like, he was flying everywhere. They were stuffing Derrick Henry. I know it's a different run game. It's going to be hard to stop. I think the Chiefs can pull it off. I'm with you. Um, it's interesting because we talked about the Chiefs' defense last year and how they were like a couple pieces away, but they added those pieces this summer. I mean, yeah. you talked about we Frank Clark, and now you have Terrell Suggs and obviously Tyron Matthew. It's going to be an interesting one to watch. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks Appreciate for having you, me. Appreciate it, guys. Joined now by the stylish, <laughs> the California living. Oh, my God. Matt Harmon. How you doing, buddy? I am doing so great. It's good to be here in Miami uh-huh. uh, soaking it all in. This is my first Super Bowl. I've been doing this professionally for like five years, professionally, yeah. for five years, and this is the first time I ever actually get to come to the big game, as you go. they call it, so I'm, it, I'm enjoying it. It actually makes two of us, but Josh here is a seasoned oh. veteran. Pro, no, I've only, I've only been to one. I went up to Minnesota, so it's quite different. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, the Minnesota one was a lot of fun. We did like the roller coaster interviews with Cam Jordan and yeah. Gerald McCoy. We went ice fishing. None of that's going to happen out here. I don't think so. I have to wear SPS 70. We're probably all in the same boat. <laughs> yeah. I don't really like to comment on that particular part of uh, <laughs> my issues in life, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Matt, it's great to see you, man. I haven't I seen you in like... Two years? Two years, yeah. Back yeah. in Charlotte when we uh, did a little brewery tour there. How's uh, California life? I mean, um, not to call you out, but, okay. you know, you must have like a little style icon out there. I mean, it's, you know, you got some bracelets now. You got I'm, I've, a couple layers on, even though it's 70 degrees outside. Oh, I'm a sellout. Yeah, that's the thing. People have been like, you know, it's going to be hot in Miami. Not really. Like, it'll be in the 70s. That's like kind of a little breezy, you know? Like, uh, it's fine. Uh, I, everything is great, man. Um, I'm just enjoying like kind of a break from fantasy season. I hear I'm you. sure you yes. guys feel the same way. Yes. Uh, it is a it is a good time to be soaking in actual playoff games that we don't have to care about, like how many routes run or how where this guy light up in the slot. I'm sure you guys are like, well, we're about to ask oh. you about a lot of that stuff. All right, so well, don't yeah, make fun okay, of it cool, too cool, much. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> don't ruin our few segments we have for you. Uh, no, actually, I wanted to ask. So right now, the off season, you're not. Yeah. You're probably doing a few things playoffs wise, but really, what are you gearing towards? Yeah, I mean, mostly this time of year is all building up towards reception perception mm-hmm. for me, which is of course the methodology that I created to uh, analyze wide receiver play, decide who are the best route runners in the NFL. Just talked to Stefan Diggs a couple minutes ago. Obviously, one, one of, of your personal faves. One yeah. of my personal faves, as he noted before we started talking, because I've told him this before. So yeah, it's uh, mostly gearing up towards that, and we'll have a few other things, you know, at Yahoo that I'll be involved in as well. Yeah, as a host, I should have mentioned that you work at Yahoo Sports. That's as fine. A fantasy analyst. <laughs> uh, did you mention to Stefan Diggs that you compared him to Curtis Samuel? Yes or no? Uh, no, I didn't. Lead, <laughs> I didn't lead with that. Get that part out. You might have been like, who? who? <laughs> um, along that same path, I want to ask you this: Who do you think deserves more targets in 2020? Who deserves more tar? I mean, look, you could go through with a lot of receivers, man. I mean. Diggs is one that I think you could put up. He mentioned that himself. I asked him, what's the thing that, you know, is most misunderstood about wide receiver play? And he's like, you know, you can be balling and just you're not getting targets. It doesn't show up on your fantasy team. I'm like, that's a pointed comment, but that's good. I like that. Uh, Curtis Samuel, I think, is another one that you can obviously point out. Uh, But, look, there's a lot of good receivers out there that I think could really – take that next step frankly honestly uh the first guy I put through reception perception was odell beckham um ever no 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 this, this for year. this, this year season. for yeah. this off season yeah and 
that's another interesting situation to monitor. So I mean, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of guys you could go through. Did I influence reception perception at all in terms of the alliteration, Matt? I went back actually through our history last night on Twitter because you and what I have a, a long what history. A, what a strange thing to do, by the way, Josh. I know. I probably shouldn't have. <laughs> I mean, to that. be fair, we both did into the lobby. We were like, "What do we? Oh yeah, we have. What do we want to talk? About. Yeah, what what can we talk to <laughs> Harmon about? He's so he's such a boring guy. Um, the first time you ever added me on Twitter, it was this tweet. Um, Anyone who doesn't accept purple as a studly color doesn't understand fashion, period. Do you still have that stance? Yo, I wore like a light purple. Well, I mean, look, I work for Yahoo Sports. I'm going to be careful with the colors over there now. Out yeah. there now. Yeah, it's very studly color. How fitting. We should just, this was foreshadowing. It if a was, book was it written was. of Matt's life. But honestly, I wore uh, like a purple shirt at media night last night uh-huh. uh, over or under like a kind of dark jacket. I think that's a good mix. I yeah. completely hold that stance. That was December 2nd of 2013. Man, that's like a lifetime ago. That feels like forever <laughs> ago. I know, right? Before we've come. Dago? Oh, no. I actually, so we were tossing around ideas. First of all, I should say, Josh nixed my idea because I wanted to unbox with you on the table. Oh, nice. But we, we threw that aside. That's a lot of props. It, it's a it, mess, it's by a the way. It's a lot of research, to be honest. Yeah, so we'll just go with the easy one because you are infamous for uh, yelling at Booger via Twitter. So we are curious where it derives from. Like, you, you enjoy listening to him. Yes. Yeah, this isn't real. What, you think that's not a real <laughs> we, opinion? No, that, that you enjoy Burger McFarlane on your television set. You, you don't actually. <laughs> Here's the thing. You kind of have to take a step back from it because I think that football media, let me just do like a media commentary on media, which is my favorite. You sit back and listen. Yeah. So here's the thing. Like, I think when you look at the NFL landscape right now, we've got enough people that are teaching us stuff that are unveiling new insights of the game and that's what we're all trying to do like in our jobs and then you've got guys on tv that have played the game that can really like tony romo everybody talks about tony romo how great he is well that's great like but everybody doesn't have to be that and i think booger brings like a levity to the situation you know something which is not taking the game so seriously honestly like look the guy drew something on the screen (laughs) twice in one season yeah twice like we need some of that the nfl takes itself a little bit too seriously. Mm-hmm. Like we all know right. that. Um, let me be quiet here. We got you know people next door. Yeah. I don't know, but takes itself a little too seriously. I think Booger brings like kind of a light to the situation, and I appreciate that. I think, we, frankly, I think we need a little bit of that. So it scratches like different itches. Yes, exactly. Like we, it's it's a funny experience to be online and like talking about some of the weird stuff he says. Yeah. I mean, if I was just listening to it, you know, with like my uncle or something, I don't think it would be as fun. But the fact I've got Twitter up and you know, you can engage with different people. And like, can you believe he said that? I mean, again, to call back to the Diggs interview, I brought that up with him. Cause like I've seen him, Devonte Adams, Alan Robinson, like all being like, what the hell is he <laughs> talking about? And that's fun. Cause you're like, they're just like us. They're fans watching at home. Yeah. Taking it all in. I think it's a cool experience. It kind of like connects us all. And we need a little bit of that in modern society. Something else we discussed last night. Uh, why is it not? And we need an answer here. Matt Harmon Yahoo. It is still Matt Harmon BYB, which some people don't even so, know nope, what that yeah, is. Yeah. Oh, geez. You have to go back. Honestly, yeah, you got to go back. So, one, you know who the real ones are because they know what it means. It's backyard banter. Uh, Josh, back in the day, uh, I used to just actually be at backyard banter on Twitter way back in the yeah. day. So, there's a reason, though, you never, you, I never change it. One, you got to stay in touch with your roots. You got to stay grounded in who you are. <laughs> got to know where you came you gotta from. Got to know where you came from. And also, <laughs> if you change your Twitter handle, they take that blue check away from you. I mean, you can get oh, it. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, I yeah, didn't but know if that. You just straight up go in right now, change your Twitter handle, it'll take away that blue check. You can get it back if you got it some connects, know. blah, blah, blah. But essentially, it's like 
I'm sure you guys have all had some bad relationships mm -hmm. in your life. You know, like some people make a real bad mistake and get like their significant other's name tattooed on themselves. Uh -huh. I've never done that personally. I thought uh, you were about to tell us. No, 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 no. But it's like that, really, because it's kind of just you can never remove it. Yeah. It, but it reminds you of where you came from and, and your past. And that's how the Twitter handle is because you can't take that away unless you want to lose that blue check. And I mean, do you really want to lose that blue check? I don't think so. That's what it comes Status. to. Status. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we've got a few more minutes. Let's close with some football stuff. Okay. Obviously, I know, and you're probably pigeonholed as this wide receiver guy, but it's, you know, what you spend a lot of time uh, doing. Yeah. Good job. Amari Cooper's a free agent. Sure. What do you think about Amari Cooper's outlook? Because he's such an interesting case study for me. Yeah. Because he always has had this talent, even coming out of Alabama, yet he was with the Oakland Raiders and it was super inconsistent. And part of that might be the offense he was playing and part of that might be playing with Derek Carr. Yep. And I would say for the majority of the time, at least a full season, he's been consistent with Dak despite it being awkward at the end. Yet, he might search for money. He might come back. What's kind of your perception of Amari Cooper as a player? Yeah, so my perception of him has always been that he does have the talent. He has the ability to flash absolutely elite route running. But I think that kind of comes and goes. I think especially in Oakland, like to start off when they were kind of running him out there as an X receiver against man coverage, press coverage, you know, snap after snap, that was a problem. And then... I thought it made a lot of sense. Like, actually, John Gruden in the initial showing with Oakland sort of moved him around, put him at flanker a little bit, which yeah. I thought was super smart. I thought that was one of the sharpest things I saw Gruden do in 2018. And then in Dallas, they continued that as well. And I thought this year he was kind of taking that next step to becoming more of a full field player. But I still think there were some inconsistencies this year. So what I would love to see from Cooper to kind of take that next step is like the route running ability that he flashes in spurts, do that over a 16 game stretch. Cause I still don't think we've seen that yet. I thought we were going to see it at the beginning of this I did year. Too. And then I think it kind of tailed off. Cause he had year. those games like against the Vikings when he was winning contested along the sideline. Yes. And then we've talked about him being able to play in the slot on the outside, but it just like fizzled toward the end of the year. Yep. And it made no sense. To but me that's, but all. that's who he has been it his is. entire career. So I thought I said this, I think it was on Chris Harris's podcast. Like this is by far the best I've ever seen him play, especially from like, a consistent route-to-route -route basis, just winning throughout the game. Hmm. Um, there were some games this year where he was just, you know, in peak form, absolutely demolishing guys. And then again, it started to fade a little bit as the season went on. And at some point, I think you do just kind of have to accept maybe a guy is who he is. Um, you know, if he moves teams this year, I think that would be even more problematic. <laughs> and it makes you wonder like what the priorities are because we have no idea yeah. for these players either, right? Like do they prioritize production and fit and good quarterback play or are they searching for money? Yep. And I think that Mario again is going to be a case study for that. If it weren't so consistent throughout his career, I could say we could easily attribute the injuries he had at the end yep. of the year. But again, like you said, every single it's part year. of it. Uh, is there someone else you're looking forward to charting this offseason as well? Uh, I mean, uh, I think that one guy I really want to dive into is Marquise Brown from the Ravens. Yeah, uh, yeah. was a huge fan of him coming out of school. Um, I thought he was the best route runner in last year's draft class, especially among kind of the smaller speed receivers. And I think it's unbelievable that Lamar had the efficient passing season that he did yeah. while Hollywood like wasn't popping for 16 games. So I want to see if some of that came to the NFL level. And obviously, you know, there were injuries there this year. That's another kind of consistent theme as well. But he's a guy who I really want to see, like, does he win from a route to route basis? Has he brought that ability to the NFL with him? Uh, we haven't asked you anything about Sunday. How we're going to do that. Okay. 
play a little game. You know games. I know games. You know hooks. <laughs> Interviews just can't be the same every no, single time. it can't be, you know, three chuckleheads just talking back and forth. Uh, why don't you reach your hand in here, okay. pick out a piece of paper, right. and answer it for us. If you can read it aloud, since this is, well, you, you know. scoop if you want Since to. this is a both tougher, a video and a podcast, please do that for us. Okay. Does Patrick Mahomes attempt a no-look pass? Aha. Interesting. Interesting one. Um... Let me think. Let me run my analytical model here on this one <laughs> to be able to predict this based on the weather, home road splits. Right. Da, 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 da. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, look, it's the Super Bowl. Like, got to leave it all out on the table, right? So, yeah, sure, I, I say he does. How do you think the game goes? I think it's going to be high scoring because I think these are the two best offensive play callers in the NFL, Kyle Shanahan, number one, Andy Reid, number two. And I think that they can beat you in multiple different ways. I mean, like especially the 49ers offense, if they want to establish the run, I think they can do that. But... I think the Packers, you know, it was so strange to watch them run out like a bunch of nickel defenses, like consistently put multiple defensive backs on the field when they're telegraphing. They threw eight passes in, in 2020. That's unbelievable. So I think what they were afraid of was that play-action passing game, like beating them in the intermediate levels of the field. And I think that if you're going to target Kansas City somewhere, we know they gave up a lot of catches, not necessarily big fantasy numbers to tight ends. I think that they can be beat in that area. I think that's if the 49ers want to go with that play-action passing game in the intermediate levels, I think they can do that. And obviously, I don't know how you contain Mahomes right now with what he's doing. So I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. And ultimately, I think it's going to be close, but... I flip-flop a lot. I do think the 49ers win, though. And as a lifelong fan, obviously, I'm, I'm biased. Lifelong fan since September, of course, yeah. And since March. March, I'm sorry, yeah. Please, you, gotta, you gotta are show me some respect. You are digging into you. that, by the way. Yeah, well, look, one thing I have learned... Is brand? Not na- and not necessarily that. One thing I have learned in, in media is, is always lean in. When uh-huh. you got something good going, you lean in. And uh, that is definitely what I've done uh, this year. I did not expect it to end up here at the Super Bowl, the team that I picked to be a lifelong fan of in 2019. But here we are. Matt Harmon, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate I, it, buddy. My pleasure, guys. I'm so glad all my old tweets could get brought up. We went through, <laughs> we went through the whole thing here, man. It was, a lot of, it was a lot of fun. Joined now by Bob Sturm. Bob Sturm is the Dallas Cowboys writer for The Athletic. And I heard the golden voice for the ticket in Dallas. Well, I'm certainly on there, The yes. golden voice, <laughs> yes. as you can tell. John Daigle's been listening to you prior to the show. I just want you to know, he's been doing his homework. He doesn't He doesn't know the story, actually. Josh doesn't, that we go back, like, like over, way back? over oh, a yeah. decade. Oh, yeah. In fact, there is college radio audio that exists that I did not bring with me <laughs> because both of us, more importantly, me, just sounds like a complete idiot. So we're not ever going to unveil it. I mean, yeah. I, I would take a guess that you two weren't in college together. Was this... John Daigle looking for advice out of college? I, I Probably, right? It was about Dan Reeves, we were talking, yeah. and uh, Stars Hockey now, which okay. I don't even discuss whatsoever anymore. Well, you should. It went uh, all over the place. Very, very plucky little <laughs> hockey team. They so, might do big things. Behind the scenes, though, we're actually like 30 minutes late here today because we got bumped for Jorge Masvidal, but it's okay because Josh got to finish the uh, Via game. So, yeah, yeah. Aston Villa. Villa. Tell me about... Jorge Masvidal. I mean, I obviously know that he is uh, off a one-knee knockout. Yeah. He's the BMF champion. What was it like talking to him? Oh, it's great, man. I, I'm a big UFC guy. Me too. Uh, and so Masvidal, he's, he's risen to kind of people's champ sort of status. And uh, the Diaz fight, the Askren fight, uh, uh, Darren Till before that. So he's just on this roll, which seems like it's going to culminate with, with maybe Connor uh, eventually. Uh, um, you know, you look at uh, the other options, Colby Covington, and right. they, they've had, they're falling out. So there's a lot of good fights at 170 and he is just you know 
a lot of the fighters came through like the college wrestling circuit. Mm -hmm. He came through the the street fight circuit. He was like the real Kimbo Slice. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, yeah, the, the YouTube shows him like at age sixteen knocking a dude out who was Kimbo Slice's big, you know, prodigy on the streets of Miami somewhere. Yeah. So I mean, you want to talk about the real deal? Yeah. And a guy with hundreds of fights, that's him. Well, I feel like UFC on your show is like wrestling on our show. Like I'd love to talk about it more, <laughs> right. but my co-host like does not want to hear about it. That's the problem. Oh, That's the yeah. problem. Uh, let's move on to the Dallas Cowboys. Obviously, you're super close to that team. Sure. You cover it very well. Uh, it's been an eventful offseason for the Say Dallas the Cowboys. Um, look, this is the team that had a plus 115 point differential right. last season. Myself, I won't speak for others, pointed a lot at the head coach and coaching decisions yeah. as a determining factor of this team to not make the playoffs despite as good of an offense and in some places defense. Right. What do you think will be the most immediate improvement of Mike McCarthy replacing Jason Garrett? Uh, you know, the first thought would be structure. Just the basic idea that uh, what had run its course and both offensively and defensively at different times, it, it became increasingly clear that they had a fine talent reserve, and I know this is highly subjective at times when you talk about how much talent does a team have, but if they consistently seem to play below their talent level, now you're looking at coaching. Now you're looking at, are we too simple on defense? Are we too easy to play against? And on offense, are we uh, weighting things improperly to optimize success? I mean, that's the basic idea is you're looking for efficiency on both sides of the ball, and you're looking to put your guys in a position to succeed. And the Jason Garrett System, the Jason Garrett structure, the the Jones family, and and the weird personnel situation, the the st- stability of a defense that was frankly not good enough to be that locked down and to the Rod Marinelli, we're going to run cover three, we're never going to blitz, we're going to do all these things. There was just too much predictability, and it was not the good kind. And so, you know, with the Cowboys getting in a new staff, a new way to look at things, um, and and then ultimately a guy that I think the Jones family is more than happy to hand authority to, which is which is something that does isn't always the case. I think that's going to be a real breath of fresh air. Um, we'll see how long it holds. Yeah. But right. but uh, there, there is a feeling like this is the first actual legitimate hire since Bill Parcells. Interesting. Among all the changes, uh, I was kind of shocked to see Kellen Moore stay. Yeah. So now, and who knows what's happening there. I've heard he's going to stick around and play, do play calling. Right. But we've also seen Mike McCarthy's play calling tenure and him not giving yeah. it up whatsoever. Right. So how do you think this offensive changes next year, if at all? Well, I mean. Whose fingerprints are on it? Great question. And, and I think they looked at last year and they saw, you know what, this offense was so good statistically in so many categories, it would be crazy to just nuke it and start all over again. So you don't want Dak going from Lenahan to Kellen Moore to Mike McCarthy. So they want some level of stability. Um, the big deal, though, is you, you just wish you could reorganize. Do does, Would Mike McCarthy, for instance, still authorize a Zeke Elliott uh, contract? Because once you pay that much for a running back, you've pretty much shown your cards on how your offense is going to look. Yeah. When and he signed that pen to paper, he had handcuffs on. Yeah. He knows what he's dealt now. Yeah, and so, I mean, there's obviously ways to do it. Uh, the Cowboys still, I think, have ties all the way back to the 90s Cowboys kind of feeling like they could rebuild Emmett and that line with Zeke and this line and, and kind of funnel everything that way. Um the ability to pull that off in the modern NFL, uh, you know, 
surely there's there's something to running offenses or run first or play action offenses. I mean, uh, clearly we don't all think that there's no place for it, but how much? And and, and so when you have the weapons of Cooper and Cobb and, and, and Gallup out there wide and you have Prescott throwing the ball around, how much of that should be done? Well, yeah, but we paid this running back this much money. So it's that constant weird deal where they spent draft picks, number one picks on a guard, a center, a, you know, a running back and all these things. So they really put their eggs in that basket, right. whereas the whole league, you know, we see Andy Reid. What does Andy Reid believe in? Well, pretty much the opposite of what Jason Garrett and Jerry Jones believe in. So how are we going to sort this out? Bring in Mike McCarthy and hope we can bridge that gap. And there's another running back in Dallas, too. And yes. His name is Tony Pollard. And, it seemed and he like, has juice. Yeah, every single time Tony Pollard came into the game, he, he was electric. Yes. And he added something. I certainly understand not taking Zeke Elliott off the field. From your read, what did the Cowboys think of Tony Pollard heading into the season, think of him during the season, and maybe what the goal is to have him in the future? Well, entering the season, I'm pretty sure they thought it was good insurance if, if Zeke were to hold out. I don't know that they ever planned on him holding out for very long because the Cowboys don't really tow a, a, a strong negotiating line. They yeah. always pay their guys, especially if they really like him, and they love Zeke. So Pollard, when he started showing what he could do in preseason, there was an idea like, man, they got to get him on the field. they got to find a place for him. Yeah, but you just got Randall Cobb in here, and you got these three receivers, and you got Jason Witten back, and you got Zeke, and you can only put five skill guys on an offense at the same time with your quarterback. So how does Tony Pollard fit in? The fact of the matter is you got to get your playmakers on the field. you got to find a place for them. And too many times in 2019, Tony Pollard was a spectator, especially in those road games and especially in the games the Cowboys lost. I mean, there's a correlation in almost every case. Now, Pollard was not perfect. That fumble in Philadelphia certainly didn't help things in Week 16. But overall, every time he played, good things happen, and yet they're like, yeah, but we got Zeke. And, and yes, you do, but you got to figure out how to use all your pieces. Once again, you go to San Francisco, you go to Kansas City, you go to these teams that find a way to have specific plans for all their talented players, and it's not every week, but most weeks they find a way to get the most of their players, and that's what they got to do with Pollard. Pollard's too good to have him watching the game. We discussed uh, all their free agents they have this upcoming offseason, and I would like to actually just quickly go one by one, just get your thoughts on okay. all of them, uh, the important ones anyway, starting with Dak, yeah. who I'm sure we're in agreement they're bringing back. They're absolutely bringing him back, and I assume they're going to get an extension done, but I think they thought they had one week one, and yeah. it, it disappeared. Uh, Amari. Amari, I have to believe, once again, they will keep him. Now, in what fashion do they use? They have two tags this year, like everybody, and uh, so the franchise and the transitional, and they want to get extensions done, but this is where it gets close. But I'm, I'm, I'm almost positive Amari's in the plan. In the second half of his season, his performance, at least like started, at least left the awkward. question mark open. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Uh, Byron Jones, because that's the one, how do we fit all these pieces in? And I don't know how Byron Jones fits. Yeah. He's, he's very, very good to a point where he's going to get offers that are substantial mm -hmm. and you want to run a different type of defense now and you want to emphasize take takeaways like who doesn't and you know you want to blitz more so does he fit and can you pay a guy before he kind of proves he could play in your new system yeah. and and if not are you spending a first on a corner and then are you just running in place so that's an interesting one too uh, we'd love to have 10 more minutes with you, but we can't. Uh, we are going to play a game before we finish. We haven't asked you at all. It's a wacky radio bit. Wow. About the game on Sunday. Yes, so sir. in order to do that, uh, I'm going to ask you to pull 
a piece of paper out of this. this. Oh, okay. Pail. Yeah. All right. We got it at a tourist shop. Yeah, one of those super tacky tourist shops that everything hacked up by $20. Belts, by yeah, the way, yeah. I looked. Uh, so can you read that aloud? Answer the question for us. What happens first, guys? 49ers score points or the 49ers punt? So how do you, you think the 49ers? Okay, so it's a question for me. It yeah, is. It's on you now. Okay. Um, I kind of like uh, 49ers punt there. I kind of think that uh, this game, and by the way, for some reason after doing a lot of my work, and I got more work to do, but I really like the, the Chiefs in this one. And I, 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 I don't know if that's where everyone's headed, and maybe that's not a very original take at all. It's been but about 50-50 up here Is so it? Far. Okay. I, you know, clearly the 49ers have, have proven their, their worth, but, but I, I think it's going to take them out of their personality a little bit on Sunday. And, and I assume that uh, a punt... It seems to be the more likely there, but in the general sense of the game, clearly the idea is for the Chiefs to uh, put enough pressure that the 49ers get out of their offensive personality. It's interesting. I mean, two weeks to prepare for Kyle Shanahan with an opening drive script. Yes. I don't know if I would put it past him to punt on that first drive, but that, I mean, if anyone's going to succeed in that moment, I think Kyle Shanahan has shown he can do that this year. Absolutely. Bob, thanks so much. Really appreciate you joining us. It was a real pleasure, guys. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.